Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. That was beautiful. The worship team was just beautiful. Amen. That is my favorite hymn. So, Scotty, thank you very much. That blessed me. I want to talk to you today about being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ with the analogy of the potter and the clay and how we're a lump of clay and God's hands are molding us and forming us and making us. And the question is, do you even want to change? Most Christians just want to go to heaven when they die. But there's some Christians out there that want to get real and want to change and want to become like Jesus. Praise the Lord. Let's see if this works. Turn it on. That's, that's great advice. So Max Lucado said this. He said, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. So he loves you. He loves you. He loves you just the way you are. Even if you're not doing well spiritually today, if you're struggling, he loves you anyway. But like Shannon said, he's running after you. He's chasing you down like a hound dog running after a rabbit. He's, he's going to chase you down because he refuses to leave you the way that you are today. He loves you too much for that. He wants you to be like Jesus. Here's our scripture of the day, Romans 8, 28 and 29. Romans 8, 28 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Romans 8, 29, not so much because it's a difficult verse. It says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God wants sons and daughters just like Jesus Christ. He wants them to have the character of Jesus, the integrity of Jesus, the nature of Jesus. Does anyone really want to change? Like I said, most Christians want to go to heaven when they die, and that's about all the Christianity they want. But I know you guys aren't that way. So they're very, they aren't, they are not very concerned with changing, but it's God's ultimate intention to change you and make you like his son, Jesus. God's a potter, we're the clay. Isaiah 64, 8 says, And yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We all are formed by your hand. If you think about a clay on a potter's wheel, the potter will just throw a lump down. And then he takes his hand, the wheel starts spinning, he starts forming that clay and making it into a vessel. And if the vessel's marred, guess what the potter will do? He'll smash it all together again, start over, and throw it down on the wheel again until he gets it just right. How many of y'all have had been smashed together and started over again in life, huh? <laughs> marred vessels need another chance. How many of y'all feel like you got another chance with Jesus? Amen. On the potter's wheel. This is Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I'll cause you to hear my words. 
Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Look at the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So again, we're marred vessels. We're not perfect. We're, not, we're marred. We all got flaws. We all make mistakes. We're human beings. You don't have to apologize to God for being a human being. He knows who you are. But he, you do need to cooperate with him as he's changing you. God needs a willing vessel, a yielded vessel, a surrendered vessel. Transformed. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. Says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Transformed means simply changed into another form. Just like the clay gets turned into a beautiful vessel, God wants to take marred human beings and change us and transform us into the form of his son, Jesus Christ. Galatians 4.19, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. You say, I already got Jesus in me. Yeah, you have him in your spirit, a born-again spirit, but there's a part of you that still needs changing, and we'll look at that today. Romans 12.2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you look at that in the New Living Translation, it even makes it easier to understand. It says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. He wants to change your mind, your thoughts, your soul, your souls where your mind, will, and emotions live. That's what God's after. He wants to Turn it into a new form. God wants us to conform us into the image of his son. Now, a pig's a pig. <laughs> Doesn't matter what you do, a pig's always going to be a pig. Now, you can take that pig in your house and give it a shampoo, <laughs> wash him down, put deodorant on him, a little cologne on him. You can bring him to your dinner table in a little piggy chair, put a piggy bib around his neck and try to teach him some manners. You can get that pig to eat with the family. But as soon as the back door is cracked open and he can smell a whiff of the barnyard, that pig's going to go to the barnyard and waddle in the mud because a pig's a pig. And human nature is human nature. And only God can change human nature. Genesis 4-7 speaks of sin, something we don't like to talk about a lot, but it's necessary because we all have a sin problem. Genesis 4-7 says, if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out because sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. So every Christian has to deal with sin, with the issue of sin. If you don't, sin will control you and destroy you. 
crouching at the door like a tiger crouching behind the door, ready to jump on you, ready to hurt you. So this sin thing's a real thing. Even the Apostle Paul had a sin problem. In Romans 7, 18 through 20, he says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, then it's not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. See, we all have this sin problem. Somewhere in our being lives sin. And God wants us to be delivered from sin, set free from sin. Try to live the golden rule, or, or try to live the Sermon on the Mount for one day perfectly. I mean, if you really study the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus, and you wake up and try to be 24-7 with every thought of your being, and just tell me how successful you'll become. Because we all fall short. We all miss the mark. No sin is so large God can't forgive it. And no sin is too small that it doesn't need forgiving. Wow. That may be the most powerful thing I'll say all day. No sin is so large that God can't forgive it. No matter what you've done, you might think it's impossible. But beloved God is a forgiving God and he'll forgive you of any sin that you commit. That's right. But no, <coughs> excuse me. But no sin is too small that it doesn't need forgiving. You say, well, I just don't have to deal with all that. I'm just a human. I'm just going to act like that. But God wants you to confess your sins to him and Im improve your intimacy with him and draw close to him. And this is how you do it, by confessing sin. Do you really see your sins? Are you comparing yourself to other people? Are you uncomfortable with the size or amount of ungodliness in your life? Could you possibly be much more sinful than you're aware of? Are you willing to take a true look at yourself? And are you willing to pray, Lord, change me? Lord, change me. Lord, change me. This is what we do. We say, well, that's just my personality. That's just the way I am. Or I'm just like my dad. I'm just like my mom. I'm not stingy. I'm just frugal. I'm not materialistic. I just appreciate nice things. I'm not obsessed with personal appearance. I just like good grooming. I'm not unforgiving. I just have safe boundaries. I'm not irritable. I just have high standards. I'm not ruthless. I'm just a sharp business person. I'm not bossy. I just want things done the right way. I'm not flirting. I'm just very friendly. See, we don't even call it sin. We just call it human behavior. Because you compare yourself with other people, you're doing a really good job. But when you compare yourself to Jesus Christ, you'll find that you're missing the mark, that you're not like Jesus. We need to change. Do you complain, gossip, worry, get anxious, live in fear, get depressed, 
offend easily, need to control, have a hard time forgiving, get angry often, have a quick temper, have a problem with lust? Are you a taker instead of a giver? Are you often selfish? Do you want the glory? Do you have a problem with drugs, alcohol, porn, greed, etc., etc.? See, we're all sinners. For all of sin to come short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. And we've all got ungodly behavior in our life that we might not even be aware of because we've been doing it for so long. The only way you'll ever change it is to look at the standard of Jesus Christ. Compare yourself to perfection. Compare yourself to the Word of God. Look into the mirror of the Word of God and, and see yourself for what it really is. Then you can start the process of change. But you're not ever going to change if you don't see your sin for what it is. Does anyone really want to change? Most Christians don't want their lives interrupted or altered, much less radically changed. They certainly do not want to have to suffer to be changed. They don't really see the need to change because they're living better, cleaner lives than the greater majority of their neighbors. So we need to pray every day. One of our prayers needs to be, Lord, change me today. Just change me. You're the potter, I'm the clay. Just change me. Reform me, shape me, make me like you want me to be. There's four critical foundational pillars for the process of eternal change. And it's identity, image, indwelling, and intimacy. We want to look at these four pillars today. The first one's image, identity, then image, indwelling, and intimacy. Christian life's a journey with Christ rather than a journey to Christ. In other words, he's going along with you on this journey. It's a journey with him, not to him. You're already to him. Now the journey's with him. And God is calling us to intimacy with him, the highest calling possible. So how to change? Number one, we've got to get this identity thing settled once and for all. We must know who we are in Christ. If you try to deal with your sins and don't know who you are in Christ, you don't really believe what God says about you is true. Then you'll feel defeated, guilty, condemned, and ashamed. If you really know who you are in Christ, you can talk about your sins and honestly face up to them without being offended. So number one, you are not your old man. He is dead in Christ with Christ. Forget about the concept, the false concept of old heart and new heart. Your old man is dead. He was crucified at the cross with Jesus. If you've been in those baptismal waters and came up, beloved, you buried your old man in the baptismal waters. You came up in resurrected life. That guy's dead. So you are who God's word says you are in Christ. Now, we've often heard the analogy, the black dog, white dog living in our heart at war with one another. You say, which one of them's going to win the war? Well, the one you feed the most. And that sounds like a cute analogy, but I want you to forget that. That's not how it works. The black dog's dead. The old man is dead. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live 
yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Romans 6, 11, I likewise, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. The old man's dead. Leave him there. Don't drag up the corpse and carry him around today. Leave him in the grave. He's dead. In Christ, all believers are in Christ with a new identity. You are not your old man. He is dead. You are your new man, regenerated and born again. You are who God's word says you are in Christ. I'm baptized into Christ, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So we were, when you got saved, the moment you got born again, the moment you got saved, you were baptized into the body of Christ, baptized into one body by God. God baptized you into Christ. Jesus came into your heart but even a greater thing happened. You came into his heart. Now you're in Christ. So I'm placed into Christ by God. How did I get there? God did it. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. See that? Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You got all that the moment you got saved. The instant instantaneously when you got born again you got all of that because God placed you in his son placed you in Christ baptized you into the body of Christ are y'all following this I am complete in Christ for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and ye are complete in him which is the head of principality and power and then I am dead I'm hid with Christ for it says for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So you're dead. The old man is dead. Forget about him. Black dog, he's dead. Baptized with him, buried with him, planted with him. Then raised to walk in newness of life in your new identity, your new man. In Christ, I am born again. I'm regenera- a regenerated spirit. God is... is sent the Holy Spirit to fuse with my spirit and he did a miracle and he took my spirit and regenerated it and now I have a new spirit, a new man, a new identity. I'm saved. I'm redeemed. I'm justified. Who? Everybody that's in Christ. Every born-again Christian is saved, redeemed, justified, sanctified, holy, righteous. There's no condemnation in Christ. We're chosen, accepted, and loved. I'm a child of God. I'm a saint. Everybody in this building that's a believer today is a saint. You might want to call yourself a sinner, but God calls you a saint. You were once a sinner before you got saved, but the moment you got saved, God made you a saint because he put you in Christ. You're a citizen of heaven. Amen. I'm an ambassador of Christ, a child of the light in Christ. The moment I was saved, God placed me into Christ. He came into my heart, but I also came into his heart. He made me free from sin, 
holy, sanctified, and put me right with God. My old man is dead, and my life is hid with Christ in God. When God looks at me, he sees his son. In Christ, I enjoy the righteousness of God, and I do not experience condemnation anymore. I am complete in him. That is so powerful. That might be the most powerful thing I'll say today. My true identity, who I am in Christ, is my true, deepest, eternal identity. It's much more important than the temporal identities. I am not who the world says I am. Now, people may know me as a longhorn farmer or a preacher or a businessman or a father or a husband, but all those are temporal identities. They don't mean anything. What matters is who I am in Christ. That's my real, truest, deepest identity, who I am in Jesus Christ. I do not allow the world to define me for my career, work, accomplishments, successes, or failures. I'm not valued based on my net worth. I'm valued based on the worth and the value of Jesus Christ. My entire existence is based on who I am in Christ, not who I was in Adam. Who I was in Adam is dead, buried, planted. He's gone, crucified with him raised to walk in newness of life for who I am in Christ. If you don't know who you are in Christ, you will get offended often and easily. So if you're getting offended all the time, everything offends you, it might be because you don't really know who you are in Christ. You're not living through that new identity. When your friends tell you what is wrong, you will get offended. When the preacher hits a nail on the head, You'll think he's singling you out and picking on you. You always feel guilty, condemned, never measuring up. You've always been that way, and you'll always be that way unless you discover your true identity in Christ. The life of Jesus Christ, Jesus gave his life for you, salvation, so that he could give his life to you, sanctification, so that he could live his life through you, service. That might just be the most powerful thing I say all day today. Four critical pillars. Again, let's remind ourselves. One is identity. Our behavior doesn't determine our identity. Instead, our identity determines our behavior. So if you think you're a dirty, no good, rotten sinner, then you're probably going to live like a dirty, no good, rotten sinner. If you think you're a saint who sometimes sins, you'll probably live like a saint who sometimes sins. Number two image, God is conforming his sons and daughters into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Number three, indwelling. He lives within us and wants to flow out of us to others. Number four, intimacy. He's calling us to intimacy with him, the highest possible calling. What more out of everything in the whole world, all that you might think, dream, or do, what more is important than intimacy with God? God, your creator. God, your savior. The the one true God's calling you to a relationship with him of intimacy. He wants to enjoy sweet fellowship with you. He wants you to be conformed to his son so he can enjoy 
this sweet oneness of fellowship between him and his creation. Image, number two image, conform to his image. Genesis 1:27. so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female created he them. That's the goal to get back to the image that man was in the garden. Now that's where we'll be again in the new city. Once we graduate out of this life into the next life, we're going to be just like Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden before sin. They were vessels of light. They were vessels of love. They weren't marred vessels at all. They were perfect vessels. And God enjoyed that sweet communion with them until they sinned in the garden. Then the light went out. Their spiritual eyes were closed. Their natural eyes were open. He had to kick them out of the Garden of Eden, out of paradise. And they entered into the little red schoolhouse of suffering. God wants us to get back to that image, back to the image where we're just like Jesus. So it starts with what image of God do you see? The true God or the God of your own making? What I mean by that, if you got a wrong view of God, a wrong image of God, that may be a golden calf in your mind, an idol. God's a God of love. The Bible says in Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord God, he's merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, and by no means clearing the guilty. He's a just judge. God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's a just God. He's abundant in goodness, abundant in truth, abundant in grace, abundant in mercy. God's a God that we need to view. He's like a loving father, not a big old man with an ugly stick ready to beat you over the head every time you make a mistake. He's more like a father, a loving father that, that wants to help his children grow, help his children become more like him. So what's the image do you see when you look at yourself? You're your new man. That's that new identity in Christ. When you look in the mirror, that's who you need to see, the new man, who you are in Christ. Remind yourself all over again, I'm born again. I'm a new, I have a new identity. I have a regenerated spirit. I am who God's word says I am. I'm holy. I'm sanctified. I'm righteous. I'm justified. I'm redeemed. Remind yourself of who you are in Christ when you start your day. Or you can look in the mirror and see the old man, Satan's false identity, who you were in Adam. And you can be that person all day long and live a miserable day, condemned, guilty, and ashamed. Are you a dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace, or are you a saint that sometimes sins? Two different viewpoints the way you approach your day. God wants you to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Conformed to his image, I'm going to read you our text verse again. We know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And then Romans 12, 2 and NLT again, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. God wants to get inside your soul, get inside your mind, get inside where you think, 
He wants to change the way you think. That's the only way you're ever going to be transformed into this new person is to stop thinking like you're your old man and begin thinking like you are your new man. Our souls are the problem. Our new man, our new identity, his regenerated spirits are perfect, but our souls are still imperfect. I'll say that again. You're regenerated, born-again spirits in right relationship with God. But your soul's still a mess. God wants to change your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. It is our soul that's a mess. A lifetime of bad memories, of bad habits, and a strong will that chooses the wrong way. We're a threefold being, body, soul, and spirit. It's real important to separate this, to understand it. Our body is what it is. It has sin and death in it. We're headed to the grave. But one day God's promised us a resurrected body, a body with no blemishes, a body that's perfect, a body with no sickness, no sorrow, no suffering, no pain, no more tears coming out of the resurrected body. Our body's going to be a perfect body. But right now, you need to take care of your body the best you can and, and, and try to be here as long as you can and fulfill all that God wants you to fulfill while you're on this earth. In this sin-sickened, diseased body full of death headed to the grave, you know, just take the best care of it as you possibly can. It's the only advice I have for you there. But your spirit, your spirit's in right relationship with God. It's born again. That is the new man. That's what's holy and righteous and justified and saved and redeemed. But your soul, your mind, that says thoughts and will. It should say emotions, mind and will. Your mind is where your thinking happens. That's your soul and that's what God's after. That's what God's shaping on the potter's will. God's not shaping, changing your spirit. That's in good relationship with him. He's, he's taking your soul where you think, your mind. And that's why you go through what you go through in life. That's why you have to visit sorrow and suffering sometimes. I just read A Hind's Feet on High Places by Hannah Hennard. It's a marvelous book. I recommend it to everybody. It's an, an, an analogy or allegory about a little girl named Much Afraid who had crooked feet and a crooked face. And she was a servant of the shepherd, but she lived in the valley of humiliation with all her fearing relatives. And she was destined, they wanted her to marry craven fear. And so much afraid, wanted to get away from this life of fear, this life in the valley. So she came to the shepherd and asked the shepherd to change her, to make her feet like hind's feet that could go on the high places, like the feet of a deer that can jump up on the rocks and climb the mountaintops. And the shepherd said, I'll change you all right, much afraid. I'll turn you into grace and glory. I'll, I'll change you. I'll transform you. But I'm going to have to introduce you to two companions that's going to take you on the journey. These two companions are going to take you on this trip. And much afraid was so excited to go, she wanted to enter the kingdom of love. She wanted to be in the, to know the shepherd and with more intimacy. So she said, yes, I'll go. 
So Jesus took her and he introduced her to sorrow and her sister's suffering. Sorrow and suffering. Much afraid had to grab the hands of sorrow and suffering to go to the high places to be transformed. I know y'all don't want to hear that because nobody likes sorrow and suffering in their life. But this business about God transforming you is, is a serious business. God's trying to change you, trying to change the way you think. He's trying to change your soul to transform it into the image of his son. So our spirits once dead, now alive, born again, resurrected. God's Holy Spirit has joined himself with our spirit, our generated spirits in right relationship with God. It's our souls that are a mess and need transforming. Our souls have a lifetime of memory and bad habits. Our will's in our soul, and it's the will of man that's a trigger mechanism for all our choices. Do you wonder sometimes in life why you made that choice? Dumbest choice I ever made in my life. What happened? Your will is a trigger mechanism. Living in your soul, your thought process generated all these thoughts that caused your will to make a bad choice. God wants to change your will, change your mind, change your thinking. Our God has to break our souls in order to change us. The end of your faith. 1 Peter 1, 9. This is a powerful verse. It says, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. In other words, you've already been saved in your spirit. God wants to save that soul of yours. The reward for trusting in 1 Peter 1, 9 will be the salvation of your souls. And then Philippians 1, 6 is a famous verse in the Bible, but this is in the NLT. It says, I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God, who began a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Christ. God, who began a good work. He, he put you on that potter's wheel long ago, and he's still forming you. He's still shaping you. He's still turning you into the image of his son, and he's going to do this. You just trust him along the journey. If you have to go along with sorrow and suffering to get there, just trust him. He's got you on a journey of transformation. Our deepest identity in our spirits has been transformed, but our redemption is not yet complete. Our souls still need transforming. We're called to the task to allow God to gradually conform our souls to the righteousness and holiness that was created in our spirits the moments we got saved. In other words, he wants to make your soul just as righteous as your spirit, just as holy as your spirit, just as sanctified as your spirit. God wants you to think. Quit thinking the way you think and learn to think how he wants you to think. It all starts with confessing sin. We talked about sin here a little bit ago, and I just want to remind you it all begins with confessing sin. If you eliminate this part of your spiritual walk, you're never going to get any better. You've got to confess it to get it out of there where God can put his blood on it. 1 John 1, 7 through 10. If we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. 
But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word is no place in our hearts. So we all got a sin problem. He said it right there. But if you confess your sin, what happens? God's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you with the blood of Jesus from all sin. So let's deal with it. How do we change? First, I need to know who I am in Christ. Second, I must see my sin and confess them to God. And most Christians never get past this point right here because they're not aware of their sins. They don't care they got sin. They're, they're just leave it the way it is. But, but sincere Christians are saying, God, change me. Show me where I'm missing it. Show me where I'm not living like you want me to live, and I'll confess it to you. It's a relationship. Number three, understand God gave us Jesus to take away our sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood. Use God's grace on my sin, the blood of Jesus. I confess my sin. I ask Jesus to, to wash me in his blood, to, to remove the sin, to expiate it, to, to forgive it, to remove it, make it go away, make it disappear. Now I need for God to change me in order for me not to do that again. In other words, I've confessed the sin. I put the blood of Jesus on the sin. Now I got this problem. I don't want to do it again. Again, most people never get this far. But if you'll express the desire to be changed and yield to God, then he can freely do whatever's necessary to bring forth the transformation, even if it means sorrow and suffering. So if you'll say, Lord, change me, I don't want to do that again. Whatever you need to do to me to help me not to do that again, Lord, I'm yielded to you. I'm surrendered to you. I know y'all aren't shouting over all that, but that's, what, that's the truth. It's just the truth. Four pillars, identity, who I am, image, what I'm becoming, indwelling, who's living in me, and intimacy, what God wants. And I'm just going to hit two slides and, and we'll be done. Indwelling. The Holy Spirit lives inside of every believer. He wants to flow out to give his life to others. He wants to flow out of your heart like a river. Our wills must be broken and yielded to God in order to release the spirit within us. Again, the will's in the soul. And if that thing's not broken, it'll keep choosing wrong. But once it gets broken, it'll surrender and be yielded to God. Then the spirit can be released out of you to flow to others. Sometimes God has to bring sorrow and suffering in our lives to help break our wills. The key is to yield to God while he's breaking us. And then in intimacy. Spiritual intimacy is what God wants in our relationship with him. He wants you to surrender your whole life to him. You gave your life to him when you got saved. He wants you to surrender the rest of your life, the whole thing. Surrender to make him Lord, make him master of your life. You get saved, you're only making conscious choices of what you're aware of right then. You're giving your life to Jesus. But you'll find as you live your life, there's parts of your life that aren't under the lordship or the headship of Jesus Christ. 
So he wants you to continually, through this breaking process, this yielding process, is to keep surrendering your life to him daily, making him not just Savior, but Lord and Master. He wants you to lose your name and take on his name. You know, when you get married, the bride's supposed to take on the husband's name. But now it's become commonplace in America that the bride won't take his name. She keeps her name. But Jesus ain't going to have a, a bossy bride like that. <laughs> he wants you to give up your name. That means give up your nature for his nature. That's saying, Lord, I'm going to give up my nature and take on your nature, your character, your integrity. And then God wants you to draw close like a bride and a bridegroom. That's why he's conforming you to his image. God wants to change us and make us more like Jesus so he can enjoy sweet fellowship with his children. Does anyone really want to change? God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. Is Noah in the building? Can I have a pianist real quick? Is Noah here? He may not be. That's all right if he's not. Shannon, you play that piano? No. Sing a cappella. Can you do that? Thank you. She's so willing and surrendered. She's awesome. Give Shannon a hand clap. She's a, she serves. She's everywhere. She's on the worship team. She's in the clothes closet. She's, she's volunteering for this, doing that. While he comes, I just want to say Pastor Chad spoke at the IMA National Convention this week. He was the keynote speaker. And word got back to me, he hit it out of the ballpark. Said it was the best sermon he's ever preached. It was amazing. So y'all can be proud of your pastor. He's been off doing some big stuff. Amen. There you go. Thank y'all so much. I just want to close with an analogy for you, an analogy of a sailboat. And I want to ask you, are you sailing, are you rowing, are you drifting, or are you sinking? And I hope this helps you. Are you sailing? Are you living the victorious Christian life with the wind of the Spirit at your back? God is real to your heart. You often experience his grace and love. Your prayers are answered. When studying your Bible, God gives you revelation. He feeds your soul, and you're strengthened by the word of God, and you sense him speaking to you. You're yielded to God continually, even in suffering and sorrow, and you're aware that others around you being influenced by the Holy Spirit flowing through you. You are sailing. I hope that's you today. I hope that's everyone in the building. Can you play for me, Noah? It's not on. Can y'all turn him on there? Are you rowing? You find prayer and Bible study to be more of a duty or an obligation than a delight. God often seems distant, and you rarely sense his presence. You don't see many of your prayers answered, and you may be struggling with doubts about God or yourself. You continue to read your Bible and you try to pray and you attend worship services, 
You try your best to serve God despite the inner spiritual dryness. You try to please God, but you always seem to fall short. You can't quite measure up. You're rowing the boat. Instead of sailing, you're working and rowing. Are you drifting? You're experiencing all the conditions of rowing, spiritual dryness and difficulties, but in response, instead of rowing, you're letting yourself drift. You don't feel like approaching God or obeying God, so you don't pray or study your Bible. You give in to self-centeredness that naturally comes with feeling sorry for yourself or self-pity. You drift into self-indulgent behaviors to comfort yourself, whether it's escaping through eating, sleeping, drinking, worldly entertainment, or sexual sin, you're drifting, drifting away. Are you sinking? Eventually, our boat will drift away and lose any forward motion in the Christian life. The numbness of heart becomes hardness of heart because you give in to thoughts and self-pity and resentment. If a major crisis comes into your life like storms, you might abandon your faith and identity as a Christian altogether. You're sinking. So are you sinking today? Are you drifting? Are you rolling? Are you sailing? Do a spiritual inventory real quick, just between you and God. Find out where you are. And if you want to go deeper and higher on your journey with him toward more honesty, toward the kingdom of love, embrace the hands of sorrow and suffering and take your journey up to the high places, then God wants you to make a choice today. If you're sinking or drifting, he wants you to make a new choice in your will to say, Lord, I'm going to start sailing again. I'm going to start walking with you, Jesus. Wherever you might lead me, that's where I'll go. I'll follow you. Let's stand to our feet. And I'm going to have Shannon sing. And if you want to come to the altar, then come down here and let's pray. I'll pray with you if you want me to. But let's make our choices to God. He's trying to transform us and change us. So let's surrender our wills and our hearts to him all over again today. And Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Return Church, for Pastor Hayes. I thank you, Lord, for all your blessings, all your goodness. And I thank you for every soul that's here in this building today. Lord, we've heard your word, and some of it was sharp like a two-edged sword. But Lord, we want to be real. We want to follow you and make you Lord and master of our life. If anyone's sinking out there, I pray that you'd rescue them, Jesus, that you'd wrap your arms around them and pull them up out of the miry clay and set them up on a rock again. If anyone's drifting away from you, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come and draw their hearts Will you draw them back close, Jesus, that they might feel your presence and they might start moving forward in your kingdom again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Let's sing.